you know, we're seeing that people are leaving the Microsoft survey that looked at global data. They found that 41% of the global workforce is looking at leaving their jobs and that only 4% are leaving because of pay. Mm. So we're seeing people jump ship to other places that treat them better and have more balance. But we're also seeing people leaving their career entirely. Hi, welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. And I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. The Big Self Podcast has been covering burnout from our inception at the top of 2020. Both Shelly and I have suffered from it in different ways and at different times in our lives. We help organizations and leaders deal with it now. And we had no idea how acute it would become and how the screws would tighten with the circumstances and chaos of the pandemic. And who better to bring on the show to discuss her own unique strategies and experiences than Jennifer Moss. In her compelling new book, Moss argues our current strategies are getting it all wrong, that self-care won't cure burnout, and organizations need to entirely rethink their approach to wellness. Leveraging her latest research and evidence-based solutions, her recent book, The Burnout Epidemic, The Rise of Chronic Stress and How We Can Fix It, will help leaders and individuals prevent burnout for healthier, happier, and more productive workplaces. We tend to think of burnout as a problem we can solve with self-care more yoga, better breathing techniques, more resilience, whatever that means. But evidence is mounting that applying personal band-aid solutions to an epic and rapidly evolving workplace phenomenon isn't even close to enough. So Moss's book is eye-opening, you could say paradigm-shifting, and it offers a practical guide as well, laying bare the real causes of burnout and how organizations can stop the chronic stress cycle that an alarming number of workers are suffering through. Self-care, of course, is important, but it's not a cure-all for the epidemic of burnout. So we're so excited that Jennifer was able to make some time for a visit on the show. If you don't know her, Moss is a Harvard Business Review contributor and a nationally syndicated radio columnist. She also sits on the Global Happiness Council, a small group of leading scientists and economists that support the UN's sustainable goals related to global well-being and the annual Global Happiness Policy Report. Also, stay tuned to the end for the Big Self Takeaway. Jennifer Moss, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this uh, conversation. It's going to be It great. is going to be great. We are really excited to have you on. We've been following your work for a, for a while. You've been pounding this subject of um, burnout for years now. How many years? Well, I started working in the space of well-being, and, you know, and happiness, etc. But it, it really is just the, the sort of the a joke that I was the uh, happiness expert that's become the unhappiness expert, but it all sort of leads to the same thing. You know, the more that we can focus on root causes, the better, but it's been about a decade sort of in the research around just employee and workplace well-being and also the chronic stress that they endure. So I've been looking at this for a long time, but then obviously the pandemic changed. 
Yeah. Yes. And the burnout epidemic, I've started it. I've got a copy. So you have this really cool thesis that the root causes of burnout can't just be solved with self-care. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I think that a lot of folks felt sort of validated in that sentiment because there's so many people that think, okay, well, if I just do more yoga or, you know, if I just say no to my boss, which most people can't do to the workload that they're putting on them, or if I, you know, do more breathing or I listen to this meditation app or I eat better, maybe I, I can solve for my burnout. But if you look at the root causes of burnout, it's overwork, it's systemic discrimination, it's uh, isolation and loneliness in the workplace. It is um, feeling like you're mismatched to the values of the organization. You know, there's lack of fairness. There's all these reasons, these six root causes that are leading to um, to your burnout. They, you know, that have to be solved at an infrastructure and policy and organizational level. You know, we play a role. I'm not going to say that in, engaging in self-care isn't really important mm-hmm. and managers need to model self-care so that other people can actually practice it as well. But it isn't only solved with us doing these other sort of well-being tactics. We have to address it much further upstream. Yeah. So is this a bit of a, are you trying to create kind of a, a movement here with this book? I, I'd like to. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm you know one small person, so I, you know, in this big sea of of um, you know kind of issues that are that really impact the workplace, and especially right now in the pandemic, you know, right. it's a noisy environment right now. But you know, I'm like a, you know, a small crusader here trying to win the war against um, this unfortunate way of of stigmatizing people from really getting the help that they need. And until organizations engage, then it's just going to be an ever-prescient problem that's not going to really get fixed. And and people right now are at unsustainable levels of, of chronic stress. Right. Let's make a uh, let's make a movement together here. We're going to spread the yes. word. Uh, you know, we actually have been talking with, um, we're, we're kind of doing a series from time to time. We'll talk on this subject of burnout So could we hear, just let's start real basic, just how do you in particular define burnout? I follow the the World Health Organization definition Mm. of burnout, which is, uh, it is workplace stress that's left unmanaged. It's an occupational phenomenon. That's how they define it, which I think is really critical because it says it is an organizational problem to solve and and, it, and it's not just uh, in everyday life. You know, it isn't the burnout soccer mom or the cult of busy or people that have FOMO. It is really at the organizational level and it's defined by these big three signs, high levels of exhaustion, uh, sort of mental distance from one's job, that lack of efficacy in your job, and uh, levels of cynicism or negativism, you know, in your job. And the WHO actually added it to their international classification of diseases in 2019 Mm -hmm. as a syndrome, not necessarily a medical condition, but in some parts of the world, it is defined as a medical condition. So that's really where I, I, I root my definition of burnout. Well, okay. So some, in some of these cases, it's top down. You might have a leader who is sincerely excited about his or her work, how can they be working hard, have their ethic, but also be setting this this healthy, top-down uh, example? 
It's a really great question because I think that uh, when you're a high performer, you also tend to be a bit type A and have perfectionist strivings. And when that all is bundled together in an industry that asks a lot of you and you, you might have a hard time recognizing when your passion for work or your engagement of work is actually becoming obsessive and it's not healthy. And a lot of leaders, uh, they have trouble with self-care. They have trouble with like recognizing I'm working too hard and they don't see the impact of their behavior and how it models good or bad behavior in the organization. So if they actually want their team to feel like they have permission to not answer emails at midnight or on weekends or on vacation, or if they really want their team to be able to take care of themselves and they care about their rest, then they have to actually behave that way too. It's like, you know, kids, you know, see what is in practice in front of them and they, they repeat those behaviors. If you don't feel like you have permission uh, to do it as an employee to take self, you know, time for self-care, you'll just never engage in it. And then the cycle continues. So managers have a real responsibility to engage in those practices that they're recommending their employees to engage. Yeah, it's hard. It's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, I I remember in one startup organization I was in, we had the Slack channel. And when the general, you know, was commanding from on high, you know, people were scrambling to to be the the responder, and this could happen at all times. And so, boy, it's a lot to ask. I think of some driven leaders. It's tough. It is, and and uh, and they, you know, we feel a lot of external pressure. Definitely, yeah. we're in this high growth mode in a lot of organizations that we don't feel like we can say no. Um, and I think that it's it's again, it's like at the highest levels of societal expectations. It's it's driven by the pandemic. There's the fact that we're dealing with this macro stress that makes it harder to do our work every day. And leaders are pretty exhausted too. Um, and, and they're leading these exhausted teams. But I like there's, this is where, you know, I come in as sort of a, an advocate or maybe a mouthpiece <laughs> on sort of what's happening right now is, is that there's no way to fix it unless there is Mm. some paradigm shifting moment. And what the paradigm shifting moment is, is that people are putting their jobs in droves and they're saying, you know, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. It's a massive bottom line issue. So unless there's some adjustment, then we're going to see some real uh, impact on revenue and bottom line, you know, month after month, huge numbers of people quitting their jobs. I think I just uh, recently I saw an article that said um, it seems to be a lot of older people or people kind of going into earlier retirement, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, some people are calling it the, you know, the mass or the great reshuffling, too. you know, people just going from one company to the next, which, and again, it says, you know, we're seeing that people are leaving the Microsoft survey that looked at global data. They found that 41% of the global workforce is looking at leaving their jobs um, and that only 4% are leaving because of pay. Mm. So we're seeing people jump ship to other places that treat them better and have more balance. But we're also seeing people leaving their career entirely. So a lot of nurses, you know, we're, we're seeing exit the enti- their entire field and industry, which is really dangerous for our communities that can't service their patients because there's not enough nurses. We're seeing also, like you said, older people retiring early and just saying, I'm not going to come back, which is problem for a teacher shortage. And again, in nursing as well, and some of those institutions, but also young people saying, 
you know what? I wanted to start this gig. I'm really not happy in this job. I can start up a company. I can do something freelance. There's a really great gig economy out there. Um, and so, and I can work from home. I don't want to go back into the office five days a week, like my boss has asked me to do. So they're also leaving too. So I think we're, we're seeing that a really big chunk of people leaving for a variety of different reasons. Well, you mentioned a couple of industries. What, what, what are like some of the industries where we're just seeing burnout all the time? I'm sure healthcare, and you just mentioned teachers. I'm wow. I'm sure that they sound, it sounds like that would be a chronically stressful time right now. What, what else? Well, yes, you're right. Tech is seeing the highest levels of attrition. Mm. We're also seeing it in tech as the second highest level. So healthcare and then mm. tech. And then um, we're also seeing it in, in finance um, in that in that those early uh, uh, younger generation, they're sort of switching careers because of just the, the demands. And because we've, we have, got, they're in any sort of high growth, um, high production focused environments, we're seeing a lot of attrition there and a lot of turnover. I think because, you know, there was no real kind of assessing of how do you have business as usual, or, you know, even just asking people to hit stretch goals inside of a global pandemic where they're juggling intense demands at home or they're, you know, homeschooling kids and they can't keep up with all of that, or they're, you know, just uh, their spouse is not uh, able to support in any way. So they're just handling things on their own, all those things, grief, just grief in general has been really hard. So that, um, that expectation to still be driving revenue and sales at, at really unrelenting targets has made people just completely worn out. So you're seeing um, those, any sort of groups like that, that are more prone to being sales or production driven. Which I know this is going to be kind of a hard question to, to answer, but uh, you know, how can you be in a competitive industry and avoid this chronic burnout? Well, it was a problem before the pandemic, for sure. I mean, overwork was mm -hmm. responsible for the death of 2.8 million workers a year. I mean, it was like catastrophic. We don't realize how catastrophic the impact is of overwork. It's sort of like, oh, burnout is just a millennial, whiny millennial problem, and they just want more work-life balance. Like, it's it's quite catastrophic, <laughs> right. the impact, you know, on our health from from months of chronic stress. So it was a problem for, but then of course, you know, any sort of crisis just exacerbates uh, an existing problem. And so we saw that, you know, just skyrocket. And I think what needs to happen is, you know, a lot of organizations just having a reset, we're still behaving like we're in this emergency threat. And yes, we are in a crisis, but emergencies by definition are unexpected. This is not unexpected. We're we're potentially in an endemic situation. So how do we think about this as being transformational and still hitting targets and goals, but doing it in a way that's sustainable for the workforce? Mm -hmm. And that means maybe moving budget around to think about, you know, managing more upstream um, supports. Like, for example, you know, women uh, working disproportionate amount of unpaid labor, 20 hours per week. And that's why we're seeing 1988 levels of female female labor force participation. How about employers that have saved a whole bunch of money on, on the, you know, buildings that they used to inhabit and now lo no longer are? Put it into subsidies for childcare, making sure that, you know, there's, there's more focus on equal paternity, maternity leaves, make sure there's paid family leave, make sure that there's grief leave. You know, there's a different way to reallocate the budget. And I think that's how we're going to 
um, be able to still be competitive and, and hit those growth goals, but do it in a way that's sustainable. You know, one of the the questions I'm going to ask you was um, what are like five practical things that companies can do uh, to keep healthy updates on how their employees are doing? And I think you kind of just named a few right there. Yeah, that's what it's really interesting because you look at the root causes. There are so many different nuanced ways that we need to tackle each one. And, you know, that's just like a, a slew of one in particular to support women, you know, <laughs> like, but when we think of like, that's why the book it, you know, is pretty in depth because I have to, you know, we have to think about all different groups. And, you know, one of the ways that we can just do it very generally as a sort of direct manager are, is really root our leadership in human-centered practices or empathetic practices, which means a lot of active listening. But we do that by just changing the amount of collaboration lot less, you know, Zoom burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're over collaborating right now. We're over looping. We need to reduce the amount of time that we're in meetings. We need to create real great guidelines around when people can disconnect and their, their, um, their sort of permission to not have to engage with their boss or their coworkers after a certain amount of times. These are simple guidelines. We need to have team meet, like meeting guidelines, how many uh, percentage of our time in the week are we able to do meetings and then also after that then we can start to decline because we've hit our max like those types like of that. really great very simple tactical tools also just like giving people time to get flow and be in a creative place so not always meeting and then this one suggestion that i have for managers to really get better at connecting with their employees is asking them these, you know, three basic questions and making sure it's a 30 minute meeting every week, non-work related conversations, asking, how are you? People are going to lie and say they're fine. So then, then we need to go to the next statement, which is everyone around the group say one high, one low. We can find out what motivates people. We can find out what's stressing people before it gets too bad. And then this is really important. We have to ask, what can I do and what can we do for each other to make next week a bit easier? It's just simple solutions. It's a weekly meeting. It's non-work related. It's about creating the bonding and relationship and the vulnerability amongst people so that we can actually build trust. And, uh, and that's really important to build empathetic organizations, which uh, you know, across all the data leads to the highest performing organizations across like all the data. Hmm. Well, well, that's good data. I mean, you, you also, you talk about a Stanford study and the, that weird trickle down effect of uh, being in a hyper aroused state because of Zoom fatigue. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I love this Stanford Media Lab uh, research and it, it's a researcher that actually looked at Zoom burnout specifically, but I'm sure it can translate across all video conferencing mm-hmm. tools and platforms. Um, but specifically of the four main reasons why Zoom is and video conferencing is not the, the technology necessarily of the future that's going to increase our mental health um, is because one of the reasons is that anytime that we'd be physically this face-to-face, this close to each other in person, in real life, would be whether we were planning to mate that person or to fight that person. And so we're in this hyper-aroused state all day long. And I think we all feel that, that sense of being on, you know, having to uh, identify, like, 
you know, hat, what kind of hat we have to wear. And we're also bored because when we turn off of our cameras, then we're distracted and we're bored. So we're not engaging and lack of novelty and boredom is a huge predictor of burnout. And then we're also finding that people are looking at themselves and there's self-comparison and they're analyzing their flaws all the time. So there's a lot of negative feeling about staring at yourself on a screen constantly. We've seen, you know, uh, really just the increase in the amount of uh, plastic surgery go up by about 30% in the, through COVID. And a lot of that is people saying like, I don't like looking at myself yeah. in this constant mirror all day. I long. mean, you and I, um, so none of these things are good for us. we're doing this <laughs> podcast and, you know, we're looking at each other because we actually, we, we, we think it's nice to be able to, you know, see the person that we're talking with. We don't like it. It's just like, it feels like it's on a phone call, but you're right. I'm like, I'm staring at myself again. I've got, you know, these wrinkles and, you know, I'm aware of them at the same time with the zoom stuff, I'm zoom fatigued pretty quickly. But, um, as with technology, there's, there's these weird advantages too. I'm joining all kinds of, um, different communities now because I kind of like being able to be on them. You're right, Chad. And I think what's so uh, been such a contradiction is that technology has been the saving grace in us even just being able to get through this last 20 months and for businesses to, to survive people to remain working. I mean, if you look at the, the opposite, I mean, financial health could have been completely plummeted for everyone that couldn't be working. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's always a butterfly effect to anything. And I think that really it's just about saying, okay, you know, we can still meet and collaborate, but how do we do that in a healthier, more sustainable way? How about we, you know, get on a phone call once in a while when we're doing a walk and talk and make them brief? How do we use, you know, Slack and these types of social collaboration tools to make it more about fun and less about work? How do we use different modalities? How about we stand in meetings? You know, like there's different things that we can be doing. We're just sort of like, this is how it was March 15th, 2020. (laughs) And now we have to do it this way for the rest of our lives. And I think uh, we have to sort of switch up how we're communicating to each other. Yeah. So I'm hearing a lot of make it briefer and structure. So there's like, there's a lot of like, just kind of maybe clarity with boundaries. Uh, Yeah, uh, totally. I mean, maybe we should give people time to to think a little (laughs) bit more. And also don't be so bent out of shape if you don't get looped into a meeting. Look at it as a gift of your time back instead of thinking, oh, it's a slight or I should have been invited to that meeting. It means that they don't think that I'm, you know, valuable. And if we create environments where we're not overlooping all the time and it's not about just making people feel better by being invited to the meeting instead of looking at it like, no, I love you so much <laughs> that I did not waste another hour of your time today. Yeah. Like it's a mindset shift and and also realizing that a lot can get solved in shorter amounts of time. Finding a way to like, you know, make work fun again, really sort of lost uh, all of that through so many meetings. We lose the time that makes us feel like work's really enjoyable. And as soon as you lose that, then it, it, you get such higher disengagement. People feel really stressed. You want it to still be an enjoyable place that you you can go to virtually or in person every single day. I think there's a, there's a whole new cottage industry of books coming out now about like killing meetings. Like that's, that's a whole different message that people are sending. I think uh, it's tied into this, 
uh, beating burnout. That's good stuff. Can some people, Jennifer, be chronic stress? Can they be in burnout, whether, whether they're a leader or an average employee or whatever, and just kind of be in denial about it and just be living under? I, I assume that it must happen. How do we break people out of it? You, I think you're, you're right. I, and then it's interesting for the first time this year, I had a, a few conversations where I've had people say, you know, I always kind of thought burnout was just like some sort of like, you know, silly, or I wondered what, how people could burn out. Mm-hmm. And, um, I sort of maybe looked down on it or thought it was just people complaining and they wanted, you know, to work less or they're lazy and stuff. And so, and then what they've said is, I have totally eaten my words because I actually went through it and, you know, you don't realize it. it sort of happens slowly and then all at once, but you start to recognize like it, you're just, it's feeling like more laborious to get up in the morning. You're feeling, you know, like you don't want to shower. You don't want to do your basic hygiene, you know, conscientious routine that you would normally do when you go and step into a workplace and all those things just start to slowly erode. You know, you're not spending time with your friends like you used to because you're so tired. So the idea of like getting on a call with a friend or meeting them for coffee is just too tiring. And so slowly over time, you realize, wow, I haven't talked to my friends in three weeks. And, you know, you're eating constantly fast food because making healthy meals is too tiring. Like these are all these things. And then over time, you're like, your body reacts, it responds and says, like, I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. I don't have time with my friends. All I'm doing is working. I'm checking in on email at 11 o'clock at night and at six o'clock in the morning. Um, and then you hit the wall. And I think that's, that's where you, a lot of people sort of go, wow, like I am now hit the wall. I need to take time off of work or quit my job. I have to, you know, re-engage with my friendships. I have to go to therapy and I need pharmacological responses. I don't like myself anymore. Like that's what we don't want people to do. So we need to start getting people to know more like, oh, wow, I haven't talked to my friends in two weeks. I'm not engaging my hobbies and catch it before it's too late, really. So that, and that's the the chronic part of it, right? Where we we kind of lose track of, well, yeah, I'm just putting my entire identity into work. Would you say that, and I don't know if this go, extends beyond the scope of your book, but because I've been hearing a lot about like, you know, even how you could experience like small traumas, not like major traumas, but but I know there's all this new science on, we can, we see that there are physiological differences in our brains and our bodies when we undergo different types of trauma, I was just wondering if if you've seen research or anything on the effects of this chronic stress, which is related to burnout. Absolutely. We're seeing a lot in just this uh, accumulation of micro stressors becoming a macro stress, but mm. um, because they're not being managed, but we're also seeing things that people haven't paid attention to. You know, you look at the 12 types of grief and yeah. one of them is a loss of tradition. And a lot of people didn't realize what, why they were feeling so much grief. They hadn't maybe lost someone to COVID or it wasn't a specific thing that they thought, oh, I should be grieving. But when we lose the life that we used to know, you know, and you see this with a lot of um, people that immigrate when they move into these new environments where they don't have those same traditions that they used to engage in all the time, it can make them feel a grief of a lost life. We went through all of us, you know, 
yes, a, a collective trauma in a big way, mm-hmm. but those little losses of traditions have been very difficult. Um, we're also experiencing a hopelessness because we can't plan for the future. We're always worried that, you know, something's going to change, you know, those plans. And we've had to develop a lot of uh, capacity to be emotionally flexible, but you also, we've also normalized to trauma. And you see similar brains going through what we've been going through in the pandemic as those people that have lived for a long time in war zones. I mean, we're really dealing with more than we're giving ourselves credit for enduring. And I think that we do need to be more self-compassionate that, yeah, we're not looking at it like, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't get to have my wedding or I didn't get to go on that trip that I planned or, you know, I didn't get to go to grad. And we sort of diminish that because there's people dying around us. But those are still very, you know, sad events, like things that we really lost. I mean, I had friends that tried to have their wedding three times and then gave up and just had a, you know, great gathering at the the house and they were fine with it. But that's hard to go through over and over. So we we diminish those things because it's not as big as the big thing, uh, but we do need to recognize that those are still important things that we should give ourselves some self-compassion for enduring. So, yeah, this extends beyond just, you know, workplace burnout. We're talking about the wider culture. Yeah, great message. Uh, are there is there anything else that you want to maybe add that you know you know leaders could do to you know maybe some simple things that leaders could do to prevent burnout at work that we haven't already touched? I know you've really you've covered a lot. You've been clear on you know the shorter meetings that you can go do other things, some some paid leave. Do you have any? Was there anything else to add? Yeah, I think just not um, assuming, and we do this a lot, managers might misdiagnose um, someone that is dealing with chronic stress as being an underperformer. You know, we measure things like engagement and productivity and, you know, and and when someone all of a sudden went from being a really high-performing person to to suddenly making mistakes or they're less engaged or, you know, they're, they're taking more sick days, it usually doesn't mean that they're just now an underperformer. So we shouldn't start planning their exit. We need to be looking at the root causes of what could be making them not performing at such a high level. And if you look around and you think we're in a global pandemic, I'm a manager, I should be assuming that every single sign is somehow related to what is going on around my my team and uh, and digging deeper and making sure that you're, you know, not you're not expecting yourself to be a mental health professional. But you should know where things are in the organization to give people the help they need. So take a little time and find out where your where your EAPs are. Find out where you know local supports are to deal with people that are you know dealing with BIPOC issues or LGBTQ plus issues, mm. and and just getting all of that data and that that advice and that counsel and those tools and providing it to people and saying to you like you might be dealing with something. I'm not going to just you know put you on a path to letting you go. <laughs> give you a performance enhancement. <laughs> A pip. Yeah. Um, Great stuff. Uh, Jennifer, you're all over the internet, but specifically, where would you like people to, uh, where would you like to direct people for them to, you know, uh, engage with you? Uh, you know, my website is a good place, jennifer-moss.com. But, you know, I'm always on, um, I'm really like engaged on LinkedIn because I find that a lot of people that read the book, you know, have conversations there. So okay. it's uh, Jen uh, Lee, L-E-I-G-H Moss, Jen Lee Moss on LinkedIn. Okay. 
Well, fantastic. Thank you for sharing some time with her big self uh, audience. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Chad. It was great talking with you. Great questions. Thanks. And here is the big self takeaway. Workplace burnout is not new. We know this. Some would even argue it's been identified and generally present with us as a condition for the past 50 years. And while many professions are especially demanding, many healthcare and essential workers became acutely aware of how stress and overwork was impacting their lives quite recently, over the past year and a half. But chronic stress at work is becoming much more widespread and is having devastating impacts on employees and employers. A toxic experience at work can literally change your body chemistry and make us literally ill. And millions of us live in these heightened states of generalized anxiety. So one, sometimes we just don't feel like we can say no to our higher ups. Sometimes we feel like we don't fit, but aren't free to say so. And unless there is some real adjustment, there is going to be a real impact in terms of burnout on the bottom line. Two, people are jumping ship in mass and few because of pay. And in certain industries, they're leaving entire careers behind. Three, it's not just the young millennials whining, and it's not just the old retiring early. Four, it's not just healthcare and education, tech and finance are leading the way. Five, maybe we can reduce our meetings, including Zoom meetings. A recent major study shows that we sit in hyper-aroused states through these video meetings and constantly staring at others and ourselves face-to-face. And finally, six, burnout starts slowly and then all at once. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Let us know how we're doing, and we will see you in two weeks from now.